0: in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit one god amen, amen. amen. christ is in our midst he is our amen and thank you it's good to be back home after being away last weekend at the youth camp thank you for your prayers and all of your support we need to continue to pray for our youth who are, as one of my brother priests said, I'm sorry that you're facing difficulties that I would have never had to face as a child. May God grant you courage. And so we're trying to spend time with the youth by having these youth camps and lift them up and encourage them. And thank you for your blessing, giving me and my wife away To invest so much time in our young people. And I beg you to continue to pray for them deeply. Pray for our youth. Pray for them. Pray desperately for them. Because we live in a time that wants to tell them that you cannot really know who you are. If you think you know what you are, then you may not be that. And so you might need to change it. But one crisis leads to another, because if I become something other than what I am, then how do I know that's what I am? Do you understand what I'm saying? And there's a crisis of identity, and it's a profound one. And here we are as Christians saying that beautifully, powerfully, wonderfully, that God doesn't make mistakes and he loves you. Basically, every time I get up in front of those kids, I say, I love you. I want you to know that we're here because we love you. We love you, I asked my wife. Did I say I love you too much to the kids? And she said, no, they need to hear that. Especially from serious and dour people like me. (laughs) Who are supposed to say, do everything right and do nothing wrong. But we know that that's not the case. And actually, that's never been the teaching of the church. I mean, we should strive for perfection. But perfection comes through repentance. And we know that. Repentance is the seeking of healing. And you cannot know that you need healing. Unless you know that something's wrong. You cannot know that you need salvation. Until you would humbly admit. And it's very hard to do. That we need salvation. That we need Christ. That we need healing. So... Thank you for your prayers. And we're already starting to think about our summer camp now and pray for us as we prepare for that as well. Well, beloved in Christ, you might have quivered a little bit when you heard the name of Zacchaeus this morning. Some of you know what I'm talking about because Zacchaeus Sunday is one of the Sundays in preparation for great and holy Lent. I hear people say sometimes, I didn't know, oh, I didn't realize that that feast was coming up so soon. Well, the Holy Fathers of our church, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, know our weakness. And so not only do we have a few Sundays of preparation when we crack open the Lenten Triodion on the Sunday of the, do you know? Publican and the Pharisee. The Publican and the Pharisee. But we also start having these pre-Triodion Sundays. And the Triodion, for those of you who don't know, it's the, the hymn book. And I won't explain what the name means right now. But it's the hymn book that has the the unique character of deep repentance and the seeking of healing that we go through every season of Great Lent. And we have Zacchaeus here as an example of repentance as we're just kind of cracking open and peeking into the doors of Great Lent but not passing through them yet. He seems like someone who wouldn't have much, wouldn't have need, you know, a rich man, powerful. But of course, when Christ came into town, he realized that what I have is not enough. And so I, th- I see three little movements that I want to mention about today's gospel reading that can inspire us as we're preparing for Great Lent ourselves. The first is that when he hears that Christ is coming, he goes to see him. He gets up from where he is and he goes forth. And despite his limitations, despite even his inborn limitations, I'm short. He takes an additional effort to climb up a tree to overcome his own limitations in order to see Christ. And the fathers of the church see in that lesson, in that act of Zacchaeus, getting up, going forth from his very important life and his work, not only to see a spectacle, but to gaze upon the God-man, Jesus Christ. Someone of dignity would not do such a thing as climb a tree. That's only something that kids do. Father James, you know Father James, he's kind of small. He's like half my size when I'm standing next to him. I look like a giant. And then he has a picture of him hanging on that, himself hanging on that sycamore tree. He didn't climb it, but he looked pretty undignified hanging there. (laughs) The point was proven. Oh, they probably laughed at that little man when he climbed up that tree. But who cares? Who cares what it takes for me, what kind of ascent I have to make to overcome my own limitations, which I've come to accept and actually oftentimes compensated for and overcompensated for. You could see in Zacchaeus a little Napoleon syndrome. <laughs> Small man who's trying to prove that he's bigger than he is, as more powerful, overcompensating for his seeming weakness. Well, in this case, he overcame that. And without inhibition, made an effort and ascended to see Christ. And at that point, who cares what people think? And that's where we need to go as we're drawing near to Christ. We need to be willing to get over ourselves, to get out of our comfort zone and climb the tree. (laughs) So if I tell you, climb the tree, you will know what I'm talking about. Get up, do something. Who cares what people think? People? Who cares what God thinks? Yes, that's what we should worry about. So the first theme we see automatically is this theme of spiritual struggle, of effort that we're called to experience ourselves. And then a very interesting thing does happen. Two, murmuring and gossip. there's another thing that happens. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to stay at your house today. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But the people are murmuring. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is the sinner. Now, where would you be? Would you be in the tree? Or would you be one of the murmurers? Wait, he should be like wanting to come to my house. I've got a great icon corner. I've got... You know, and I look really good today and I'm like right at, at the edge, like as close to the road as I can get. Well, you've already done what you need to do then. Be proud to pat yourself on the back and see Jesus up close. You've gotten your own reward in your own eyes. <laughs> but out of some kind of jealousy and envy, murmuring comes and we we oftentimes a lot of us i think we would be we would be the murmurers we say i already said my prayers at home i don't need to climb a tree you know whatever it may be and what we would like to do the implication of of that thought why would he go to that sinner's house is that we would like that sinner not to be with jesus we would like that sinner not to be saved we would like that sinner to have the reward that is due to them for their evil actions. But you know what, beloved in Christ, our God is not just in the way that you would like him to be. He's just in the way that he chooses to be. And he justifies the humble, not the proud. And so those murmurers, they're rewarding themselves and one another by sitting and stroking each other's egos. Yeah, I know he shouldn't have. Well, maybe he lacks a little bit of judgment. I thought he was a great teacher, but maybe not that great. He went to Zacchaeus' house, but I mean, all the—we'll let that one slide because of all the neat miracles that he's done. We don't know better than God, and we need to humble ourselves before Him and before men. And a lot of times, we need to quiet ourselves, close close our mouths. One of the, You've probably heard me say, one of the sayings of the desert fathers is, you need to go on a pilgrimage. Begin by shutting your mouth. And if you cannot pray before you speak, then do not speak. If you cannot glorify God and trust that Christ is wiser than you are in doing what he's doing, then do not speak until you trust him. Listen to him first and only then speak. And then may your words be a witness to the redeeming love of our Lord Jesus Christ and not your own thoughts, especially or not, not your own thoughts that are motivated by jealousy and envy, pride. So the first movement is this effort, this ascent that Zacchaeus inspires us to make. Despite whatever excuse, he had a good one, too short to see over the crowd. Let us overcome our excuses to draw near to Christ. Let us not be murmurers or gossipers, but listen to our Lord Jesus first and trust him before we open our mouths. And then the last little movement that is so important, so significant is that Christ enters into the home of Zacchaeus. And those of you who have had your house blessings know that we refer to this gospel passage when the priest is there blessing your home. We call Zacchaeus to mind who invited Christ into his home and we need to invite Christ into our homes. When we have our house blessings, it's like inviting the church into my house and the home, according to St. John Chrysostom, is meant to be a domestic church, a little church. A place where God talk, you know, is not awkward or foreign. A place where the reading of scriptures is not abnormal. A place where a rising together in prayer is not a surprise. And that's something that we all need to work on, I know. But what is the best nourishment for us to give our children? The very best. Their vitamins, fresh fruits and veggies. Those are good. But the very best nourishment that we can give our children is to nourish them on the word of God and the holy mysteries. And of course, us who are parents, we need to um, nourish ourselves with such things so that, again, it doesn't catch our children by surprise when we suddenly try to spring it on them. We have to strive to live this life authentically. And I want you to know that you can overcome, you can overcome the sense of inhibition that has come from bad habits. Like we, we don't, well, we don't usually pray together. So if I start it, it's going to be a little weird, confusing to them. No, start it and let it become a new habit. One of my brother priests said, how many days a week do you brush your teeth? And most people said, every every day. Do you think about it? Do you think I'm going to go brush my teeth? Man, I really have to go brush my teeth today. Why do I have to try so hard to brush my my teeth? I just do. You just do it. You don't overthink it because you know it's beneficial. And you don't want to lose your teeth. (laughs) And how much more important is it for us to cleanse Not just to wash your face and brush your teeth, but to cleanse the soul. To adorn your soul in the morning, especially before you start your day. Referring to Father James again, one of the most memorable sayings that he said is, you you would never leave the house naked in the morning. Unclothed? Would you? Oh, I forgot to get dressed today. Shoot. Yeah. John, why don't you have pants on today? Oh, I just forgot, sorry. <laughs> I'm working on that, developing good habits. And so he said, you would never, you would never leave the house, don't leave the house spiritually naked. You know, we, we enrobe ourselves with Christ by calling upon His name, by inviting Him, who is actually already there, you know, into our lives and into our day. So we shouldn't be caught by surprise when the idea or the thought or even the expectation of having Christ in our home and speaking about Him and to Him, that thought comes to mind and when we realize, man, I need to develop that. My friend said, maybe, you should, maybe I should tell you, you don't have the blessing to brush your teeth until you've said your morning prayers. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good reminder, good challenge. Yeah, you could write, do your prayers on your tooth, toothpaste bottle. Sammy told me a story about how in Lebanon, during the season of Theophany, the priest would have his his container of holy water and just set out into the neighborhood. And the people lived in blocks, big apartment buildings. And he would just go from door to door. He would show up and do the house blessing, one after another. And sometimes I wonder what that would be like if I knocked on your door at 6 p.m. and said, I'm coming to your house today. (laughs) Would you leap with joy or would you say, uh, let us go inside and turn off the movie we're watching and stash away the cheese that we're having on Wednesday and let's, uh, or whatever it may be. Oh, okay, you need a few minutes? I won't do that to you, but it's it's important for us to realize like how... immediate the presence of God is and how we can cultivate an awareness of that, the immediacy of his presence by making our homes a, into a little church, which is a place of worship. Our home should not just be like a third place, a place of refuge from the world and from being seen even by God, but our home should be a place of holiness where, where sanctity where godliness is being cultivated. And so I see these three beautiful teachings in today's gospel reading on Zacchaeus Sunday, the effort, the ascent that we can make, that we can, that we need to quiet ourselves and not speak of others, but trust in God and attend to ourselves. And that each and every one of us need to invite Christ into our homes so that Christ would not be treated like a foreigner by any means, But the head of our household, may he be the head of our household, just as he is the head of the church. So, beloved in Christ, as we're cracking open the doors of great and holy Lent, I ask that these things would sink into our heart, into our bones, even deeper into the marrow of our very being. Through the intercessions of Saint Zacchaeus. May we venture toward the holy season of Great Lent with a desire for healing and repentance. That our God may be glorified in our speech, in our action, in our thoughts, in all of our being, always, now, and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.